Our scripture reading this morning is found in Ephesians 6, um, verses 10 through 24. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be on the whole, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in this evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. This is the word of the Lord. Do you ever feel like someone is laughing at you? It's going to get weird here for a minute. If you're listening to the text, and you probably already know that it's going to get a little bit weird, but do you ever get the sense that there is someone out there seeking to destroy you, just laughing at you? Like you, you work so hard to be faithful, right? You, you fight against temptation. You want so badly to be more like Jesus. And then out of nowhere, seemingly, in a moment of temptation or weakness or doubt or an old memory, of shame creeps in, and you feel like you're right back where you started. Or or you've spent so much time trying to repair that relationship, right? And it means so much to you. And then one word, uh, misspoken or misheard, and it almost feels like somebody's just sort of laughing at you. Or laughing at us. How many people across the country Like, stop going to church, not because they meant to or because they stopped believing, but simply because a virus eroded a habit. And we may never see them again. Or or those those who divided, like who who basically lost their minds, right? And on both extremes of this argument over whether or not to wear a cloth over their face, right? Friendships were lost. Families divided. Churches split over this. Do you hear someone laughing. Or, or our, our nation, where, where somehow the most compelling voices are the most extreme. How do we get there, right? Where we, where we shout first and listen never. We've, we've made that the highest ideal, whatever you feel in your heart and our biggest goal, the satisfaction of our desires. And then you add like the big stuff, like war and oppression, human trafficking, Sexual violence, mass shootings, genocide, scandal. 
And, and we, can, we can say, okay, well, it's, it's just it's a lack of education, right? Or it's, it's uh, as a result of, of poverty, uh, it's the rise of mental illness, it's the unintended consequences of this political ideology or that one, it, it's social media or whatever, whatever we want to blame to make ourselves feel just a little bit better about it, right? Whatever it is. And I'm not, I'm not minimizing the role those things play in contributing to the brokenness in our world, okay? I'm not minimizing that. But could it be that there is someone out there laughing at us, using those things to destroy us, who will stop at nothing to deceive and to devour. Friends, according to the passage we just heard, there is an unseen war all around us. And I know, I know how difficult it is for us to believe in our 21st century Western world. Okay, we're, we're in the minority of that historically, right, of those who couldn't possibly believe in supernatural evil out there. Or we think this kind of, this evil, personal evil, right, it's, it, it belongs to the realm of Stephen King and Stranger Things, right, and we, we don't want to go there, right? It makes us uncomfortable, right, in our, in our sort of 21st century world. And while we certainly, we don't want to blame all the problems on the devil, right, we don't want to go to that extreme, okay, we're not, we're not going to do that. Uh, and yet, one of the devil's greatest lies is convincing us that he doesn't exist, in fact, the great theologians from the movie The Usual Suspects, uh, they got it right here. Uh, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And so don't be fooled. The message of Scripture from beginning to end is that we are in a cosmic battle of good versus evil, love versus hate, life versus death, right? And if, if we ignore it, we are most susceptible to it. And so here's, here's what we need to, to learn today. What we, what we need to see today as we, as we wrap up our time in Ephesians is that the Christian life is a battle. And so stand firm. That's what Paul wants for us. He wants us to, to realize it's a, it's a battle. There's a battle going on around us. And so what do we do in response? Fight back. No. Run and hide. No. We stand firm. Because the battle is already won. And so if you haven't already, turn to Ephesians chapter 6 with me. As I said, this is our, our final message in Ephesians. Next week is the beginning of Advent, believe it or not. We're, we're at that point. Um, so we're going to be in the Psalms and, and working through some of these uh, old songs uh, connected to the Christmas story. But this is our final time in Ephesians. We've been in Ephesians since August, so it's been quite some time. And Paul, Paul wraps up this important letter to this ancient church by reminding us that we are in a battle. So if we were to go back all the way to chapter 1, chapter 2 in particular, uh, so much of the first part of this letter is about the victory we have in Jesus, okay? Uh, But the battle's not over. It's won, but it's not finished yet. And so the call to us as God's people is to stand firm. So look look at verse 10. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So the first, the first thing we see here is that if, if we're going to stand firm, we have to know our enemy. We have to know our real enemy. And our enemy, Paul makes it really clear, it's not flesh and blood. Uh, meaning it's not those with skin on, right? It's not other humans. He, he makes it really clear. That, that's not who our enemy 
is. Your enemy is not your spouse. It's not your parents, right? It's not your boss or that coworker you can't stand, right? Or your, your classmate or teacher. Or it's not, it's, it's not those, those politicians, right, on, on certain sides of the, the conversation. Not the people who just disagree with us. Paul makes it really clear. Like, that's, that, that is not our enemy. Don't confuse your enemy. This is one of, one of the greatest lies of the enemy. Because what happens is we, we end up, instead of standing firm, instead of resisting him, we spend all of our energy fighting against one another. People around you, people coming over for Thanksgiving, they are not your enemy. Don't be confused. Because Paul says instead, our battle is against the spiritual forces of evil. So Satan, the devil, demons, the evil one, right? All these, all these words that make us feel like we've just gone out of reality into the, the realm of fiction, right? The devil's real. Jesus clearly believed in the devil. He was even tempted by him, right? And if we were to look at the, the whole of Scripture all the way from Genesis to Revelation, it's clear that the biblical writers believed in supernatural evil out there seeking to destroy us. But we're too smart to believe in him. Or have we just been outsmarted by him, right? Living in the 21st century does not make us smart. You know that, right? I mean, sometimes we just assume, right, that whoever's the newest people on the planet, we must be the smartest, most uh, sophisticated, most evolved kind of people around, right? We, we kind of think that. But the reality is learning facts and learning wisdom are not the same thing. And this is, this is because, again, the devil is a liar. He's telling us these, these lies. He's, his goal is to convince us of things that are not true. In fact, Jesus calls him the father of lies. That, that his number one tactic, if you want to know what, what is the devil, what is he doing? What is he trying to do? His number one tactic is to, is to deceive. More than anything else, that's what he's trying to do. It's, 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 it's what he's best at. And so in John eight forty four, Jesus says about him, he says, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. Like, follow that imagery, right? It's what he's best at. For he is a liar and the father of lies. And so even if we were to go back to the garden, right, in, in Eden, Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, right, right, right there, the very first temptation are these, these whispers of the serpent to Adam and Eve that God doesn't really love you. He hasn't really been good to you. He's withholding from you. And what you actually need to be happy is to eat this fruit. Like even there, right, the very first temptation was a lie. And he's been lying to us ever since. According to, to John Mark Comer in his brilliant book, Live No Lies, uh, this is one of the best books I've read on how the devil works. If you want a resource here, it's, it's pretty fascinating. That's uh, a really, really excellent resource. Uh, and, it, and it's clear, what, he's get, what he gets at in the book is that the problem isn't primarily that we tell lies, or even that we believe lies. It's that we live lies. We build our lives on Lies. So, for example, we live the lie that to be happy, we need more money and more stuff. We live, we live the lie that, that in order to love another person, we have to affirm everything about them. 
We live the lie that in order to be a flourishing human, I need to gratify my every desire. I can't say no to anything that I want, right? We, we live the lie that we're products of chance. We live the lie that my body belongs to me and I can do whatever I want with it, right? We live the lie that my people are smarter and more important than those people, right? And ultimately, he writes, we sin because we believe a lie about what will make us happy. That ultimately, that's, that's what we, we want to be satisfied. We want to be happy, right? And so what are the lies that he's whispering to you that you're susceptible to? Lies like you'll never be happy in that marriage. He'll never change. She'll never change. Or, or lies like you're always going to be alone because nobody could love you. You've messed up too much. Lies like if, if, if people only knew, right, if they only saw who I was, they would reject me. Lies like that, that thing that happened to you is your fault. And pouring on the shame over and over again on you. Lies like you, you'll be better off if you stay angry. What are the lies? Because he's good at lying. He's been doing it to billions of people for thousands of years. He's got a lot of practice. He invented it, and he's a master at it. And if you want to stand firm, you have to know who your real enemy is. You have to know who he is and what his tactics are. This past summer, uh, we, are, as a family, went to Washington, D.C. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, and one of the places we went was the International Spy Museum. I don't know if you're familiar with this. Uh, and so it was all about like the history of, of espionage, right? And the often... I mean, even now, right, the, the unseen wars sort of all, all around us. And I was, I was especially intrigued by the stuff on the Cold War because I was born in 79. And so, like, I remember Reagan's tear down that wall speech, right? And, and I, was, I was 10 when the Berlin Wall finally came crumbling down. And, and what's, what's so fascinating about this time period, the Cold War, right, is that it was at a time of unprecedented growth in our country. Like, as, as the sub, suburbs were sprawling, as strip malls uh, were becoming a thing, right, and MTV, like, all of these things, like, everything was fine on the outside. And yet, you know, somebody pushed a couple of buttons, and the world would be, like, over, right? And, and that was, like, constantly underneath the surface. And so on the surface, everything was great. On, underneath, there was this, this unseen threat. And so you could, you could live a normal life. You could do your normal things. And there was a threat of destruction all around us. And how easy it is for us to do the same, right? Because we feel safe, we feel comfortable, prosperous. How do we stand against an enemy we can't even see? But we have to train for it. And that's the second thing that Paul gets to here. If you want to stand firm, you have to train for the real battle. You have to train for it. So let me keep reading here. Verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm. Stand. You get the idea, right? Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Now, we could, we could break down all of these things, right? Because it has this, like, huge description of this armor that we're supposed to be wearing, right? Uh, we could do that 
we're not going to, it would take forever. And I don't actually think it's, it's the point, right? I don't, I don't think what Paul is trying to say is like, man, you better have X, Y, and Z. Like you need, I think he's trying to paint a picture for us of preparedness, of readiness. It's not that things are un, unimportant, but it's, it's more about the package, right? The whole, the whole thing, that we're to be trained and dressed for the spiritual battle raging around us. And if the devil's primary weapon against us is lies, our primary defense, right, is truth, right? It's truth. And that comes out with these, right? The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, shoes of readiness, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of God's word. That if you want to combat the lies, you have to know the truth, right? The only way to even recognize the lies is to understand the truth. And I realize, like, we live, we live in, a, in, a, in a society that sort of says, well, I've got my truth, I'm going to live that, right? You've got your truth, you can do that, right? We, we have that, but that's, that is another one of the devil's lives of how individualistic we are. And so even to the point of saying, well, I can train for this battle, but I'm going to do it by myself. I don't really need others to help me in this. That's, that's another lie, though, isn't it? And even just think about that for a moment. Like, what kind of battle would that be? Like, you against the devil. Like, how arrogant do we have to be that we think we can do this alone, right? In fact, it reminds me of a ridiculous meme I saw this past week. Uh, the devil whispered in my ear, you're not as strong. You're not strong enough to withstand the coming storm. And I whispered in the devil's ear, I love your eggs. Right? <laughs> Don't overthink it, people, okay? Uh, <laughs> But here, here's the deal, like, we're not as strong as we think we're. Some of you are still like, I don't understand. Deviled eggs, right? I see some of you, are like, have these puzzled looks on your face. Okay. But the deal is, like, you're not strong enough. None of us are. We can't withstand the storm. Not alone. And so this, this armor metaphor, again, we, we take it individualistically, and we think, well, I just have to put on this stuff. I have to know the truth and live my truth or whatever, right? It's, it's just it's insufficient, right? It's never meant to be taken by ourselves. Even just think about where Paul is writing this. I love this. I mean, Paul, I mean, I don't love it for his sake, but Paul is writing this sitting in jail, like in a Roman prison. And so he, he's actually writing this. He can look over at the guards and be like, oh, there's the, the, right, you know, the breastplate. There's the, the belt. You know, he's, he's doing that. He knows it. And he knows the strength of the Roman Empire. And he knows that their strength in large part is that they have this ability to stand together, even, even the way their armor was designed, right? So they, the, the, their shields were interlocking, right? So they could form almost like a wall uh, to withstand others. I think we've got a picture here. Uh, I found this. Uh, my first question when I saw this picture was like, why would they spend their Saturdays doing this, these guys? I don't, I don't, I don't know, like, who does that for fun? But anyway, it's, it's a helpful picture uh, because that's, that's what it would look like, right? They would stand firm together. It gives you the idea. Their strength was their togetherness. That's how they could stand. And if we want to stand firm against the lies, we have to surround ourselves with the truth, and we have to surround ourselves with people who help us continue to believe the truth. Because the lies are so powerful. They're so strong. They're all around us. And so we need others in our lives regularly whispering to us, what is the truth, right? The truth that God has for us. We need to train for the real battle. Okay, so know, know your real enemy. Train for the real battle. And then finally, stand in the real victory. Stand in the real victory. Because it's so interesting to me. I mean, and you saw it several times. Like, the, the command is to stand, right? To stand firm. What kind of command is that? Like, what kind of, what kind of army just stands there? Well, one who's already won right? 
the kind of army that's already won. This entire letter, again, I wish we had time to go back through it. We, it's been such an enjoyable, at least for me, like studying this, this book. Like, but so much of the first half is about this victory that we have in Jesus, right? That he has conquered sin and death and hell. And so even, even just for a moment, go back to, to Paul's prayer in chapter 1. Right? This, is, this is where we started. I'm just going to read part of it. Here's, here's what he says, starting in verse 18. He says, that you may know, like this, he's writing to believers, to a church, us, right? That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised us from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Like, you notice the victory language, right? Jesus has won. He rose from the dead. Satan is defeated. Death has no power. Shame has met its match. Truth has triumphed. Like, that's where Paul began. And yet, where is Paul right now? Look again at, at chapter 6, verse 18. He says, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Where's Paul? He's in chains. Right? He's in jail. I mean, just, just think about that. How, how does that feel like victory to Paul? I mean, how, how can he do that? How can he talk about the fact that Jesus is one and nothing is a threat? Like, we have nothing to fear. There's, there's no problems, basically. Say, say it's, all, it's all, like, victory is ours, and yet he's in chains. And the reality is, some of you probably feel that way, right? It's like, yes, you, you know what Jesus has done for you, and you, you look around at your life, your, your world, right, your relationships, and there's so much brokenness. It can so often feel like chains, Right? We look at our world, and it feels like Satan's winning. And so on the one hand, Paul says, like, we are victorious people. On the other, he's like, stand firm. There's a vicious battle raging all around you in his life or death, right? So which is it? Right? How, how is it both? Well, I think of it a bit like uh, the Allies in World War II. Uh, and so most historians would tell you that on D-Day, uh, the war was over, Right? Hitler's fate was sealed, like it was done. Like there was no possibility for him after that. And yet the march from Normandy to Berlin still took about a year. And in that time, there was, there was incredible suffering, right? And similarly, like our D-Day was that first Easter morning when Jesus came out of the grave. The victory is over. Satan's fate is sealed. It's done. And yet it seems that there's just so many miles for us to go, right? Again, quoting John Mark Comer, he says, in the interim, like in this in this in-between space, similar to Hitler, right, who, who in that, that, those last months of the war uh, did all kinds of reckless and terrible things because he was so desperate. In the interim, he writes, the devil is like a wounded animal, a dying dragon, more dangerous than ever. Contrary to popular artistic imaginings, the devil is not in hell. He's here on earth. If Jesus' anthem is on earth as it is in heaven, the devil's is on earth 
as it is in hell. And he is the evil behind so much of the evil in our souls and society. And so what does Paul tell us to do? I mean, stand. Yeah, he tells us to stand. Because, like, we put on all this armor, and, like, what is, what is our action step? How, how do we actually do this? What are we supposed to do? Run and hide? No, of course not. Fight back? No. Shout louder? No. Skewer people who disagree with us? No. Our job is to stand. But how? Especially if you're tired. Anybody tired? Anybody just weary? Sometimes it feels like faith is, we're just holding on, Right? In the world around us, it feels like it's sometimes collapsing, or, or oftentimes within us it feels that way, right? It's like, I want to stand. I'm weak. How do I do it? Well, look where Paul builds all of this to. It's so simple. It's a little bit anticlimactic, actually, but I think it's where we get our action, our, our action step from this, right? Where does he land? It's in prayer. That's it. Like this, this whole passage culminates to prayer. He says in verse, verse 18, praying, once you, once you have all this armor on, right? He says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Some of you are like, well, great. So I got to pray more. Now I feel guilty about not praying more. I get it. But why, why is prayer so important in this fight, in this battle? How does prayer help us to actually stand? Well, I think there are a few things that came to mind of why I think it's so important for us. I mean, for one, prayer reminds us of the truth of who God is, right? And if the devil is continually lying to us, we need to be in his presence to, to be reminded of the truth so we can combat the lies. I mean, don't, don't try to live your truth. Live God's truth. And prayer also reminds us of our dependence on him, that we, we cannot stand alone. That none of, none of us have what has what it takes, right? Not ultimately. That we, we need his help. We are weak. And like Paul, we often feel like we're in chains. But he is strong. He rules the universe. And he has given us one another to stand tall. Prayer also reminds us of, of his victory on our behalf. That yes, there is a, a vicious battle raging all around us. It is real and it is deadly and we ignore it to our own peril. And yet... We get to talk to the one who already won the battle, right? Like, we, we actually get to sit down and be in a relationship with him. And so we don't, we don't have to retaliate when things get hard. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to scramble for control. And ultimately, I think this is the most important thing, at least for me. Ultimately, prayer reminds us that we're not alone when we feel so alone, that when the battle feels so big, right, the weight on our shoulders that we all carry, right, the prayer reminds us that you are not alone. Because that's our, that's our biggest fear, isn't it? Being alone, ultimately. In fact, to, to quote one of the greatest theologians on evil, Stephen King, y'all knew I was going to have a Stephen King quote talking about the devil, right? You got to do it. This is, this is from Salem's Lot, but listen to what he says about loneliness. He says, alone, Yes, that's the key word. The most awful word in the English tongue. Murder doesn't hold a candle to it, and hell is only a poor synonym. But friend, we are not alone. We have each other, certainly, as a family. And we have the one who came out of the grave alive. He 
be stronger. And he will never walk out on you. He will never leave you in the place in which you feel so crushed or alone. And prayer reminds us of his unending presence with us. If nothing else, right? Prayer says God is with me and I'm with God. And so friend, whatever you're carrying today, whatever you feel beat up, attacked, alone, whatever it is, you are not alone. And together, no matter what you face, we can stand firm. But we certainly need God's help, don't we? And so let's, let's pray to him now and ask for that help. And actually, so let's, let's pray, but instead of me praying, I want all of us to pray silently together. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give us a few prompts along the way, and then I'll close. Okay, four prompts. First of all, pray for yourself. Ask God to reveal to you the lies you believe or are likely to believe, and ask him to help you to live his truth. Now take a moment to pray for the people you love. You probably know some of the lies they are tempted to believe. Ask God to show them his truth. Now take a moment to pray for our world. In the context of misinformation, lies, and half-truths, ask God to show us a better way to live. finally, pray for our church, that we would stand firm together, knowing the presence of Jesus with us always and his victory with truth and with love. In Jesus' name. Amen.